Well, hello, folks. Good morning. Welcome to the fellowship. My name is Matt. I'm the pastor here. I have to announce myself. Um, man, thank you, Andre. I think if uh, if that wasn't the last song, I was just going to come on up. I was ready. I was ready to preach after that. I really appreciate it. Thank you for leading us into the throne room. Um, so we're starting the last chapter of Philippians this morning. Exciting times. I don't know about you, it feels like we've been in Philippians for quite a while, um, and then on the one hand it seems like maybe we just started, but anyhow, so we're going to be, first seven verses, let's jump right in. Philippians 4, 1 through 7, it says, So then, my brothers and sisters, my dear friends whom I long to see, my joy and crown, stand in the Lord in this way, my dear friends, I appear to Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also say to you, true companion, help them. They have struggled together in the gospel ministry along with me and Clement and my other wor- and my other co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your requests to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as you open up this text to us this morning, I pray you open up our hearts and minds to, to hear this message, to receive uh, your word. I pray that you will help us to change our lives according to your word and not change your word around to our our thinking and what we how we think things should be, Lord. And I pray that you just open this up to us. Where where we lack, Lord, I pray you fill us up. Where we don't know, I pray that you will teach us. And where we don't have the strength and energy to pursue you, I pray that you will give us that strength and energy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, as he's done throughout this letter a lot, he's 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 just showing his affection for the church at Philippi. He's showing his affection for them. He says, Dear friends, other versions say, Beloved, dearly loved, whom I love and long for, some versions say. Uh, but he's, he's expressing his deep affection for them. His deep affection for this church. Um, Dear friends, whom I long to see, my joy and crown. He goes on to embellish his feelings by calling them his joy and crown. Um, this is referring to like the wreath-like crown that you would get in a victory um, for some kind of athletic endeavor, some kind of pursuit. I don't know if you remember the 2004 Olympics along with the medals. The winners also received a wreath of olive branches. Um, we've got a picture here for you. Big Michael Phelps, the man. We all loved him. It was actually the logo for that Olympics else here, if you remember. See it here? So it's a, a wreath. So it goes back to... This era of like the first Olympics before the modern day Olympics. I was back in Athens and that's what they were doing. 2004 Olympics in Athens. So, um, so it's this, it's this, Olymp- it's this Olympic symbol, this picture of, of victory. So he is saying the Philippian church is his joy and crown. This is who they are for him. They are, they are his joy and they are his crown, um, his, his sort of his accomplishment that he's achieved, right, is is their pursuit of the gospel, their pursuit of ministry. 
He uses similar language in other in other texts, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 3. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the confirming sign of my apostleship in the Lord. So he's saying this to the, the church at Corinth, and we, we know from those letters, they had some trouble. Um, but he is saying that you are my confirming sign of my apostleship in the Lord. Even though throughout all their troubles, they are still a confirming sign of his apostleship because of what, what that church has done in their pursuit of the, of the gospel. And then verse 3, he ends, says, This is my defense to those who examine me. And then over in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 says, For who is our hope or joy or crown to boast of before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not, of course, you? For you are our glory and joy. So Paul is, is relishing in who this church at Philippi is. They, he deeply loves them, as we've seen throughout this whole letter. He deeply cares for them, and he calls them his joy and crown. They are his crowning achievement as a church. And then he encourages them to stand in the Lord. Some verses say stand firm in the Lord. Um, we've, we've discussed this before, uh, but this is a military term that Paul uses here. When I think of like standing firm, I think of like the British foot soldier, right? Standing out in front of Buckingham Palace. We've all seen pictures of this or videos, or maybe you've been over to England and, and seen them. Um, the, the time I, I got to go to England, um, I, I couldn't, I didn't have the the nerve or the audacity to go and mess with them. But, you know, it's like the thing to go and mess with them. You go and you want to, like, tap on them. You want to, like, wave. Because they, they don't move. They don't flinch or anything. They are stand still. It's like they're zoned out in another world. Um, and they are standing firm. They are standing still at an attention and everything. Uh, but he uses this before, earlier in Philippians. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come to you, and see you, sorry, whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul isn't just using a military term here, but it's an imperative. It's like a, this is a command you must do. It's like Paul is assuming the role of the commanding officer telling them to stand firm, telling them what they must do. He's, he's, uh, I think it's going to resonate with this church at Philippi that is, you know, this town, this Roman colony that is made up predominantly of these retired military personnel that are in that town. This type of language is resonating with them that, you know, you stand firm. It's like, you know, we've all seen the movie. Uh, we can picture it where the high ranking officer walks through the barracks and there's guys that are just doing whatever. But once they come through, it's like they stand at attention, right? They just drop what they're doing. And they're like, lined up doing you know facing forward and everything and you know of course the we know what comes next the guy just walks through and he doesn't care about any of these people and he's just like eddie soldier you know but paul's kind of reversing that um this church of philippi they're they're maybe not snapping to attention so he's like he's like telling them stand firm attend hut kind of thing and so they're all like Psh, right and so he's reversing it for them and he's telling them you need to Stand firm. You need to stand at attention. You need to walk firmly in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord, uh, because um, there's divisions among them. 
you know, as we just look through the rest of this text that we're going to study this morning, we'll see the reason why they need, why it's so important for them to stand in the Lord, for them to stand firm in the Lord. Um, there's divisions among them. They need to stand firm because of that. They need to stand firm in the Lord uh, to have the ability to rejoice in the Lord. They need to stand firm so they, they can remain gentle. Um, as he tells them they need to be gentle among each other. They need to stand firm in the Lord to alleviate anxiety. They need to stand firm in the Lord so that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard them. We, as, a, as the fellowship, we need to stand firm as well. Uh, there's always going to be things come up, and if we're not standing firm in the Lord, then we're going to fall to those things. We're going we're gonna to easily be distracted or discouraged. I know it's easy for us to get discouraged, right? It's easy for us to get discouraged in what's going on at church, what's going on in community, what's going on in life. Everything around us, it's easy. If we're not standing firm, it's easy to get beaten down and get discouraged by the things going on in the world. Um, it's easy to have anxiety about, like, numbers, for instance. You know, we're not a, we're not a large congregation. Um, and so it's easy to get anxiety over that. Um, to, to maybe even start questioning this whole endeavor that God has us in together, right? It's, it's easy to start questioning that. It's easy to, you know, start questioning, are we ever going to grow? Why are we not growing? Um, is the Lord even in this? You know, it's easy to have those doubts and those, be discouraged and have those questions. But I would say, as Paul is encouraging the church of Philippi here, we need to stand firm. So I think there's maybe a series of questions we ask ourselves. I would ask, are we standing firm in the Lord? Are you standing firm in the Lord? Are you focused on your spiritual growth? Are you focused on your spiritual growth more than you are like numerical growth? Because I think if we're not growing spiritually, there's no need for numerical growth because we're not going to be able to handle the new people coming in. Because we're just going to be weak Christians, right? And we're not going to be able to handle the numbers when they come in. So focus on our spiritual growth more than our numerical growth. Are we working on our relationship with God? Are we spending time studying in the Word and in prayer? Um, are we standing firm in what the Bible actually teaches? Or have we embraced false teachings? Um, what influences are we allowing to God and direct us? I know we're called the fellowship, um, but if the only spiritual discipline we have is fellowshipping, then we're going to have all sorts of problems. Um, we, need, we need to be about other things um, and I think fellowship is very important. That's that's a very important thing because so many other things develop out of the fellowship, out of the relationship. I think it's God's design for the church is to be in relationship with one another, be in community with one another. Um, well, you know, as we've studied this book um, that's predominantly themed uh, with sanctification and joy, there's questions we need to ask ourselves about that. Do I look more like Christ now? than I did back on June 12th when we first started our, our walk through the book of Philippians. Uh, do I have more joy in my life now than I did on July 17th? Do I have, am I allowing God to transform me through His truth of His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, when I do study Scripture, do I come seeking what God is saying, or am I seeking to affirm something I already think is true? You know, we, it's, I think that's a constant battle for, for a lot of us, is, is what are we bringing to Scripture when we're coming to study it? We're bringing um, presuppositions that we don't need to bring and just try to figure, fit Scripture around what we already think to be true. Are we allowing the truth of Scripture to change us? 
Um, are we coming to church for what we can get or what we can give? I think if we get through this entire book and don't have a better outlook, if we're not more joyful people, if we haven't progressed in our sanctification, um, then I don't think that we're really allowing the God, the Word of God to transform our lives. Um, so Paul ends verse 1, and stand firm in the Lord in this way. We stand firm in the Lord in this way. He's referring back to the end of chapter 3, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we also eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of His glorious body by means of that power by which He is able to subject all things to Himself. So we are to stand firm in the Lord with a constant awareness, constant mindset of where our citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven, um, and that should be forever on our, on our brains, that you know, the things in this world that seem like big things, and, and, and this week, the things in this world seem much bigger. You know, they're, they're a lot more burdensome than, you know, maybe the week before even. Just a lot of stuff just seems to hit all at once. But if we're standing firm in the Lord, we know our citizenship is in heaven. I think it, it gives us a better mindset to face those things, to have to properly... Um, process those things when they come up when they when they arise and then verse 2 he jumps in he says i appeal to yodia and sitiki to agree in the lord now i mentioned this uh you know the the church of philippi doesn't have a lot of problems but they have a little bit problems i mentioned this back at the beginning maybe the first sermon maybe the second sermon but we talked about how um, he writes this letter and it's a very uplifting letter He, he mentions joy a ton throughout this letter uh, but he does address some issues, and this is the big issue that he's addressing. Other than the false teachings in chapter 3, it's this idea or this dispute between Yodia and Sitiki, a couple women in the church. Um, in fact, whenever I mentioned this issue that they were dealing with, I talked about how it's just like this kind of annoying thing. And um, it happened to me this morning where... You know, I, have, I wear an undershirt and it has a pocket on it, and sometimes I put that thing on backwards, and it feels like I'm being choked by like one of my sons just hanging on my back. It's, it's not really choking me that much, but it, but it, you know, it's enough for me to be uncomfortable with it. And that's kind of what's going on here. It happened to me this morning. I had to spin my shirt around as I was putting it on, but um, so I was reminded of that, and I was like, oh, how appropriate. But um, so. Yodi and Sitiki, two women, they're having a dispute. We don't know what the dispute, the dispute is. Um, it's, it's easy for us to infer it's not some kind of a theological or false teaching dispute that was addressed in chapter 3. So it's more of something, some kind of break in the fellowship between these two ladies. Um, I'm just thinking, if you, you know, this letter was written, it was delivered by Epaphroditus, and read in the church. Uh, imagine if you're sitting in that church as they're reading this letter. They get to verse 2 of chapter 4, and Paul straight up calls out Yodia and Syntyche. And you you might be aware that there's this dispute between them. I mean, Paul knows it, and he's in prison. You might be aware of it. This might be this elephant in the room, and Paul just calls them out in the middle of everything. That just seems so funny to me. I don't. I wonder if... You know, what did you do? You, if you, imagine if you were Euodia or Syntyche and you get called out straight away by, by Paul, you know. Uh, I mean, you, you would have to be a little embarrassed to say the least. 
I wonder if Yodia looked over and made eye contact pretty quickly with Sintiki. I wonder if they decided to just get up and go hug right then, or, or what happened with them too. Um, but I think it would be, uh, somebody in that church might have been like, finally, somebody's addressing this elephant in the room, you know. And I think that's, that's the way it is for us a lot. If you've ever had conflict with anyone, um, it, it is like having an elephant in the room that you don't want to address, that you don't want to recognize. Um, but it's there. And so, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe their dispute is over some type of a break in their fellowship. Um, they disagreed on something. Um, the funny thing about it is the name Euodia means a prosperous journey or success. The name Syntyche means pleasant acquaintance or good luck. Um, needless to say, their names aren't matching their actions in this. They're not having success. They're not having a prosperous journey. They're not a, they're not a pleasant acquaintance. They're, they're dealing with this rift between them. And so Paul tells them to agree in the Lord. Other versions say to live in harmony in the Lord. I think the key to harmony is our relationship to Christ, which radically, radically transforms our relationship to others. I'll say that again. The key to harmony is our relationship to Christ, which radically transforms our relationships to others. Uh, believers' love for God is clearly seen in our love for one another. It's a, it's an outcome. You know, when we when we have a, a strong love for God, that's seen in our relationships around us. That's seen um, in how we treat others. In Ephesians four one through five, Paul kind of puts it like this. He says, "I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness." with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you too were called to the hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I said verses 1 through 5, it's actually verses 1 through 6, I'm sorry. So being unified is very important to Paul. He's he talked about it a lot at the end of chapter one and first part of chapter two. He's he's talking about it again here. It's very important that these ladies who he's calling out by name be unified. I think it should be a big priority for our church as well and in our lives. Um, if you've ever been disunified from someone that you were in previously in fellowship with. Um, it's it's a difficult situation. It makes for a lot of awkward encounters and things. Um, the I don't think it's that big of a deal now, but at the time it was a huge deal for me. But whenever I was, I it was summer '95. I know that much. So I guess it was going from my sophomore year to, to junior year in high school. And a friend of mine who was a year older, I think I'd had a wreck or something, so I was like without a car, so I was relying on rides a lot. Um, but a friend of mine who was a year older, um, he was on work program, so he had early release. But he was supposed to come pick me up after school one Friday. It was nearing the summer, and we were going to go shopping for like summer clothes. You know, we, we each had some money, burning a hole in our pocket. We wanted to go shopping for summer clothes. And he just forgot to come pick me up after school. I, I, I don't know if he went home or if he went on to Tyler or what, but I was just stuck at the school you know it's not like I could text anybody we didn't have cell phones um, and I waited you know thinking oh he's gonna show he's gonna show to the point where the school was locked I couldn't even go in and use the payphone inside the school anymore 
And so I just started walking home, you know, two or three miles or whatever it was. And then I was, you know, so I, I don't know if I saw him at church Sunday or school the next week or what, but I was like, hey, dude, what happened? He's like, oh, I totally forgot. I was like, well, let's just do it this Friday because he, you know, same kind of schedule set up. Let's just go shopping this Friday. Let's go to Tyler and hang out or whatever. Same thing. Second week in a row, totally forgets about me. Um, I didn't let it go. I learned my lesson. I didn't let it go as long, so I, I made it in the school to use the payphone before, you know, it was all locked up. But um, you know, that was that was that was a big deal to me at the time. And so I was like, "That's it, man." He and we were we were the best of friends, and I was like, "That's it." So um, I didn't talk to him for half that summer. I just didn't didn't uh, reach out to him or anything. It was a little easy because. Um, I was working, I worked half that summer at Sky Ranch. And so I was living out at Sky Ranch as a high schooler. It was great, you know, just the freedom of that. But, uh, you know, so I, I didn't have a lot of opportunities. I think one weekend I went in, he, he worked at Berkshire's and Van. So I went in Berkshire's and saw him and just kind of avoided eye contact. And, and he had no idea there was any kind of a rift between the two of us. He had no idea I was upset. Um, and so it reminded me of this quote that I'm sure you, you may, maybe you've heard it before, but um, it's talking about resentment. Resentment is like swallowing poison, hoping the other person dies. That's what resentment is like. When we, have, when we hold on to resentment, it's like, it's like we're swallowing poison, hoping the other person dies. We just need to let go of that resentment. Um, if it's an awkward situation, you know, deal with, the, deal with the immediate awkwardness of it. Deal with the immediate... Um, you know, elephant in the room, like I said, and just get over it, you know, try to work through it with that other person. Um, and I think having, being filled with God's love is going to help us translate that into our relationships with each other, as we said. And Paul continues, verse 3, um, he involves others to come alongside Yodi and Sittiki in their, in their dispute. He says, yes, I say also to you, true companion, help them, they have struggled together in the gospel ministry along with me and Clement and my other co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So we don't know who Clement is. Uh, there's speculation of who it could be, but he's not hes not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, uh, so we don't really know who that might be. Uh, but, you know, somebody that was in Philippi, anyhow. But this true companion... Um, this is this is often this is translated literally as yoke fellow. So true companion is yoke fellow, somebody that is yoked together with Paul in the gospel ministry. So he says, true companion. He says, I say also to you, true companion, help them. Um, we don't we don't know. Um, it could be just this is a general address to the church. It could be that this is used as a proper name itself. That this true companion, um, literally, that phrase is sizigus. Um, I don't, I don't really want to pronounce that too well, but that that word is sizigus, and so it could be that he's using that term as a proper name um, for somebody. It could be that he's referring to to Luke, because you as you read through the book of Acts, I don't know if you remember this from the first chapter, but it, there's a transition that happens in chapter 16 where it talks about then Paul did this and they did this to we. So as Luke is writing the book of Acts, it shifts to a we 
And then when it gets past chapter 16, where they're no longer in Philippi, it goes back to, then they, then they, then they did this. So it could be that he's referring to Luke here as, you know, he wants Luke to stay and help these, um, help these ladies. It could be that Luke had stayed there with these new converts um, back when the church was first planted, and he's still there. We don't know. But he's, it could, and it could just be a general, like I said, a general, true, I say to you, true companion, almost like a, a, the general church at large, um, that you need to come alongside them. You need to help them. And it says they've struggled together in the gospel ministry, along with me and Clement and my other co workers, whose names are in the book of life. So, this, the book of life, I think this is important here. It's a divine journal that records. I lost my place. Hang on. Here we go. Divine journal that records the names of all those whom God has chosen to save and who therefore are to possess eternal life. Under no circumstance will those names be erased. Under no circumstance will he erase those names. Revelation 3, 5 says, The one who conquers will be dressed like them in white clothing, and I will never, never erase his name from the book of life. But will declare in his, but will declare his name before my father and before his angels. And Revelation seventeen eight says, "The beast you saw was and is not, but is about to come from the abyss and then go to destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, all those whose names have been written in the book of life since the foundation of the world, will be astounded when they see that the beast was and is and is not, but is to come." So Paul is describing his confidence in their salvation based on the fruit that he's seen in their lives. He's confidently saying that their names are in the book of life. This document, this journal that says who all the elect in God are, Paul is saying based on their fruit and how they've labored, how they're true companions, how they've struggled together in the gospel, um, they, are, they are saved. They are in the book of life. And then he shifts gears slightly, but not completely. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So even though he's appealing to Yodi and Syntyche, he's appealing to the others to help them, to help them work through their issues, he's still saying, you know what? Above all, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I will say rejoice. Another theme other than sanctification that Paul has throughout this entire book is to have joy, be joyful, to rejoice. Um, and in three one he adds, in the Lord, as he's talking about rejoicing. And he says that here too. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul's showing that our source of joy comes from God. It doesn't come from our situations or our circumstances or things that we're going through. Uh, but our relationship with the sovereign Lord is what brings joy in our lives. Um, I would really, I would really encourage you to just to read through the book of Philippians with this thought in mind of trying to notice how many times Paul uses the word every or always or all or again whenever he gives the imperative to rejoice or to be joyful. Just read through it and see where, where he says to be joyful or where he says to rejoice, he uses some kind of all terms, some kind of every term um, throughout a lot of this. In verse 1, he reminds us to keep the mindset that our citizenship is in heaven. Um, and then in verse 4 here, he's, he's 
encouraging us to keep the mindset to always rejoice. The mindset that always rejoicing goes a long way, not being discouraged by our circumstances or our situation. And then he says it again. He says, and again, I'll say rejoice. Some versions say, I will say rejoice. Um, my version just says, and again, I say rejoice. Um, I almost like the other version better. And again, I will say rejoice. That's, that's for those future circumstances we're going to face, right? In the future circumstance, if something bad happens in the future, guess what? I'm going to say then, I will say rejoice in those future circumstances. And he says, let your gentleness, let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. Um, when we do have to handle conflict within the church, we should do it with gentleness. It shouldn't be something that uh, we, we aim, that we, the people shouldn't feel domineered or that we're really coming down hard or anything. I think, you know, we look at Paul's example of how he called out Yodia and Syntyche, even though when that letter was read and Paul's name and names. That was probably a big thing. Uh, the way he did it is still with gentleness. He says, I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. I appeal to them uh, to agree in the Lord. And he appeals to the church at large to come alongside them and help them. And so uh, we need to let everyone see our gentleness. Um, when we handle conflict, we should do it with, with gentleness. And he says, the Lord is near. Uh, this is both a warning and an encouragement. Uh, near can refer to both space and time. And so, on the one hand, the return of the Lord is near. On the other hand, God's presence is always among us. And that should be an encouragement to us. Um, it's also a warning. God's, God's returning is near. His return is near. Uh, but also, His presence is near. His, pre His presence is among us. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through God's omnipotence, uh, where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there. The Aramaic word uh, used here is Maranatha. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, uh, but it's it's a big deal. People go all go all, all, all over this. I mean, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But it's similar to the Greek word used here, uh, but Maranatha. Uh, we, don't, we just don't have time to jump into that. So, um, all right, verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, Instead, in every situation, notice every, again, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell, tell your request to God. So for the, Philippi, for the Philippian church, they had a lot of tension from outside the church, different persecutions that they were having to deal with. They had tension inside the church with issues like the false teachers, issues with Yodi and Syntyche, uh, this disunity that Paul's addressed. Um, I mean, they had like real problems, not to minimize the stuff we deal with, not to minimize our problems, but I mean, we're not really facing persecution, right? They were, they, it was a life and death thing for them. It, if they, you know, it wasn't an uncommon thing for them to be thrown to lions, um, to be, to go into the Colosseum, have to fight a lion and be fed to the lions, so... Uh, they were they were dealing with very real problems, very real concerns. Um, like I said, I, I don't think that doesn't mean that we need to minimize our concerns, but I think we should face our concerns with that perspective. That you know, the things we deal with really aren't that bad. You know, I I, I get frustrated driving a lot, um, but maybe equally as much as that with with bad drivers or traffic or whatever, 
um, it's when my order is wrong in the drive-through. You know, when I go through Chicken Express and I get a roll, when I ask for a biscuit, and I'll get home. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just those things frustrate me. But that's really not that bad. I still have something to eat. You know, it's like worst case is like it's something that I didn't order. You know, and it's not that big a deal. Um, and so. For believers, we shouldn't worry. I'm going to say that again. Believers shouldn't worry. Believers should not worry. Um, That's not the trait of the Christian life. If it was, then it would be listed among the other fruit of the Spirit, right? But it's not, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, general self-control, and worry. That's not not one of them. It's it's not there. So the believers should not worry. Uh, Our scripture reading today also addressed this. Um, Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25-34, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food, and more to the body than clothing? I love this. Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow, or reap, or gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about the flowers of the field. Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And we are not to worry. What What we should eat, what we should drink, what we should wear. He says, verse 32 to following, he says, For the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly fathers know and your heavenly father knows you need them. So we are not the unconverted. We're, we should not be pursuing those things. Verse 33, but above all, pursue his kingdom in righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So then do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. I think the great enemy of peace is anxiety. The key answer to anxiety is prayer. He says, do not be anxious about anything and everything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. So the key answer to anxiety is prayer. Uh, Prayer for others, prayer for ourselves, prayer for the church, prayer for our enemies. It's important to pray for our enemies. Um... And our prayers should be garnished with thanksgiving. So, it's like you're going to throw a little parsley over whatever dish to kind of brighten it up. Or I don't know if you're a parsley fan. I don't know. But, you know, when we, when we pray, our prayers should be garnished in thanksgiving. Every night, whenever I'm putting Woody to bed, uh, we read a little rhyming story Bible that we have. And then I cut off the light and we pray. I pray with him. And I'm trying to teach him how to properly pray in that. And so, um, you know, I thank, I thank God for, for who He is. We, I exalt God and thank God for who He is and thank God for the things He does for us. And then I go through a list of thanks, um, the ways He's protected us throughout the day, all the things we got to do that day, whatever it might be. Um, I thank Him for Caro and all that she does for us. I thank Him for Barney and the joy that He brings to our lives. And I thank Him for Woody. And then... Um, I list specific things that I'm thankful for for Woody. 
And then I give a petition and supplication to God. I ask God for all the things that we need from Him. And I end with asking God to watch over and protect Him while He sleeps and to keep Him safe every night. A simple acronym for how we should pray. I don't know if you've seen it before, but it's just the word ACTS. So we, we pray and kind of use this as a model. Just, just run through it. Adoration. We exalt God. We adore Him. We give God His adoration. Confession. We confess things that we need to confess to Him. Um, you know, we don't... We don't have to go and talk to a priest anymore. We go to our great high priest, that is Jesus, and we confess things uh, that we need to confess. We give thanksgiving. We talk about uh, what we're thankful for and, and offer those things that God has provided for us. We give thanksgiving for that. And that changes our hearts. That changes our hearts in giving thanksgiving um, because it lets us know that even though it might be something we worked really hard for, ultimately God provided it for us. And then we give our supplication, our petition. We ask God for for what we need, what we need to pray for. We ask God for the things that we need to pray for, whether it's just a good night's rest, whether it's strength and protection over our kids while they're sleeping, um, whether it's you know a new job or whatever the thing is. If it's you know help for passing a test or whatever we might be going through, we ask those things of God. And so. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And then verse 7, And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. I love this idea of this peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, this surpassing all, surpasses all understanding has uh, been interpreted a couple different ways. One, God's peace is better than human reason. Um, and two, God's peace is beyond human reason. Um, and I'll lean more toward the second point. This surpasses all understanding. Um, it makes us think of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, Indeed, my plans are not, your, not like your plans, and my deeds are not like your deeds, says the Lord. For just as the sky is higher than the earth, so are my deeds superior than your deeds, and my plans superior to your plans. Um, So the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it's going to guard our hearts and minds. This is referring to the enti- our entire being, our entire person, right? Our hearts and minds. Uh, it's not just saying, Paul's not using this, this verbiage here to say, this is just guarding over your hearts and minds. That's it. He's using this as a, as a reference to our, our entire body. Our, our hearts and minds are what makes up our entire being of who we are. Um, you know, earlier at the top of 55, of, of Isaiah 55, he says these verses in verse 1 through 3. <coughs> hey, all who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why pay money for something that will not nourish you? Why spend your hard-earned money on something that will not satisfy you? Listen carefully to me and eat what is nourishing. Enjoy fine food. Pay attention to what pay attention and come to me. Listen so you can live. Then I will make an unconditional covenantal promise to you, just like the reliable covenantal promises I made to David. So God is inviting us to come and put our trust and faith in him. He's inviting us to come and trust that he's going to provide for our physical needs, to listen to him and have faith that he's going to handle our emotional needs. Um, and to rely on God's promises to take 
to take care of us. Um, God promises to always take care of His creation. Um, we're, we're much more valuable to God than the flowers of the field or the birds of the air. And He says, look at these. Look at how the flowers of the, the field is covered, it's clothed with the flowers of the field. Um, look at how the birds, they don't, they don't store in the barns or anything, and they're provided for. How much more is God going to provide for us? We need to rely on those promises. Um, on the subject of you know this this peace of God that surpasses all understanding, um, as I mentioned, I had a friend um, pass away. He actually passed away, I think, a couple Fridays ago on September second. Um, but his his celebration of life service, his funeral was on Thursday, and so I, I drove up Thursday to Fayetteville, Arkansas, to attend. Um, this celebration of life service. A friend of mine, his name is Sean Smith. Uh, we met the summer of 1998. Um, he was attending the LSU, and uh, that summer we both worked at Sky Ranch. So it was my first collegiate summer to work at Sky Ranch. I was lakefront. He was in a he was a counselor in a cabin, and so he would bring his kids down, and I would either send them out on jet skis or sailboats or whatever it might be. Um, and Sean was uh, Sean was very funny, very quick witted. Uh, humorous guy and so we got along great we we got along very well we we became close friends very quickly and we ended up working several summers together uh, eventually he came back and did the internship a couple years after the you know after my internship and so you know during that time of working at Scott throughout the year not just the few months in the summer uh, we really got the opportunity to be a lot closer um, so then what happened with him is a few months ago he started um, experiencing headaches and body pains and headaches, fatigue, confusion, and the such. And then early August he started losing his balance and having weakness on his left side. Um, and then he was at a family reunion. He did not want to go to the hospital for whatever reason. It's not out of it's completely out of character for him to not want to go to the hospital. But uh. I think what the deal was, eventually, his, his wife and some other family members at that family reunion, they started to notice his face on his left side drooping and things. And so they basically kidnapped him and took him to the hospital. And they discovered that he had a, he had a brain tumor. And so, um, and I think probably that tumor was pressing on the part of the brain that gives you rational thought. And that's why he was not wanting to go to the hospital, because that was so out of character for him. Um, but in the next few weeks, you know, he had he had surgery like a, a few days later, a week later, uh, to remove the tumor, and it went well. Um, in the middle of all his his recovery and rehab, he got COVID, so he had to, you know, uh, get get past that, suffer, you know, suffer through that. And then finally, um, on September second, they were they're making all these plans, and he was. He was like, we're going to fight this, you know. And what, what ended up happening is this certain kind of tumor he had um, had an 85% mortality rate. But he was he was like, we're, he had this great attitude. We're going to fight it. We're going to get through this. The, the kind of attitude you hear from like the 15% that survive it. He, he had that kind of an attitude. Um, and then after they had made plans for, for rehab to stay several more days uh, through the 15th and everything, um, he ended up having a pulmonary embolism the next morning and he died um, while at rehab. And so um, so I got to go to that celebration of life on, on a Thursday. I got to see a few old Sky Ranchers and talk with them and catch up and see his wife. His wife, Julie, he actually met at Sky Ranch and they had a Sky Ranch romance, as we call it. 
Um, so it was like we. I think a lot of us knew they were going to get married before they did. You know, we we just saw it in them. Um, they eventually had four lovely daughters, one of which was one of which is special needs, and uh, Sean was just a champion for her. Um, but to see Julie walk through this, um, through the time while he was in the hospital and all the, the plans they were making for for his recovery and his rehab and everything, um, and then to see her after he died, just just the hope and the joy and the example that she had walking through that, um, I really think that you know God gives a special dispensation of grace to to people in those situations um, who are standing firm in the Lord, who are standing firm and, and trusting in God. Um, she knows that she knows where Sean is. Um, she knows where he is now. And um, just to see her walk through that was a very incredible testimony. Uh, it truly surpassed all understanding. Um, so I learned a lot of things about, you know, Sean's situation, where he'd been, and probably the uh, the the biggest thing I learned, uh, well, one of the biggest things I learned, there's a couple couple things that really stood out. One was, um, in all those years of since we worked together back in the day at Sky Ranch, uh, I would say the thing that sums up his life is just uh, persistent, faithful. Uh, he he persisted in his faith. And he um, he continued serving the Lord um, fully with with all he was. He he was he always had some sort of bivocational job at different churches, um, and uh, just, just always tried to fill fill whatever whatever secular job he might have with with the joy of the Lord and those things. Um, so I'd say the thing that described him most most that that I would say is just his persistence. Um, but probably, I don't know if this is the best thing, but another thing that was really great that I learned was that um, this past Memorial Day, they had a, uh, a church-wide family retreat, and all of Sean's daughters got baptized um, at, their, at that retreat. And uh, before each baptism, Sean got to speak about um, how he saw the Lord in their lives now and his vision for how he saw the Lord using them in the future. And uh, and I think it was one of those God God sent moments that really that just truly allowed Sean to go home in peace, knowing that you know his daughter or you know his daughter's salvation is taken care of. His daughter's salvation is is complete, and and um, they are covered in, in the blood of Christ. Sean's favorite verse um, surprisingly got mentioned by Steve during his prayer earlier. Um, and it's, I, I think it's alluded to throughout this scripture too, but his favorite verse is Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Let your, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you help us Shine for others around us. Help us be an example for others by the way we live, 
but also by the the gentleness we have when when we address people when we're having conflict. Help us to shine your light with the way we face hardships and, and struggles and temptations and things. Lord, I pray that you will help us to walk through that, standing firm in you and trusting in you and your promises that you have for us. And I pray that we will shine your light in, in the way we talk about you to others. Not just how we're living our lives and people can see our good deeds. Because nobody's going to be saved by the way we take our trash down to the corner of the street. But when they hear about the hope that we have in you, Lord, help us be bold. And to shine you boldly before others in the words we use when we talk about you. Let us be a people that are, that are growing in you and staying firm in you in such a way that we are shining brightly for the world to see. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.